This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay in Dunedin, and I'm joined by Jika Smith and Sylvia Nagel in Devonport in Auckland. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. I was right, it is Devonport, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Is it? We're on the border between Devonport. Okay, there you are. This is an issue for us because I have no idea where I am. So how are things going in your bubble? We're very happy in our bubble. Um, This is what we decided was a reconstituted and suspended bubble because we have been apart for many months. And so when I returned from the UK um, three and a half weeks ago now, it was about coming together again. So we're very happy to be together again after so many months apart. But I have no idea where I am because (laughs) I went straight into self-isolation. Um, and luckily for me, I was able to avoid the complete uh, quarantine that the government are running. Um, I was very careful and uh, very quarantined, but I was able to choose where I went. Um, and then um, straight out there into lockdown. So I have no idea where I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really. So you had the misfortune or perhaps fortune of being mid coming home to New Zealand in this in this time? Yes. I, w- I will say that it was extremely fortunate. I think we are probably be incredibly lucky. Um, I, we're moving back permanently um, and after 20 years being away, almost exactly 20 years being away. And so it was just a matter of getting all the timing right in terms of uh, when the flat would sell, uh, when I could um, leave my job, and do a proper handover, things like that. So it was very um, incredibly lucky that um, we came in, I came in at the point that um, the flights were still flying because three days later they pretty much stopped. Um, So, yeah, a lot of people were very, uh, on a similar path to me, I don't know if anyone's watching the Facebook page, there's one called Kimmy's Migrating Home, and it's just full of stories like people like ourselves trying to get home. Um, and having heard the message from people, if we weren't already engaged in this process, there's um, the message that was coming out from the New Zealand government saying, do come home now, if you are possibly thinking about doing it you know, later this year, now's the time to do it. So, yeah, we were moving everything as fast as we possibly could. Um, and luckily for us, it all fell into place. Um, but I didn't know when I was at the airport on the 22nd of, May, of March, no. I didn't know whether my flight was going to go. 
Um, and in fact, Air Canada were telling me that I couldn't join the flight because their border was closed. So it was a bit of um, overwriting by one of the um, flight, uh, the check-in staff, a more senior person that actually let me on that flight, which I was booked on. So lucky, lucky, lucky. Yeah. Lucky am I. You transited through Vancouver? Yes. Because yeah. everywhere else had closed um, by then? Pardon? Canada because every, everywhere else, or the rest of the transit routes were closing. Pardon? The rest of the transit routes had already closed. Uh, Singapore hadn't closed, but the flights were only, I think there was a handful of business class at sort of five, 6,000, and I don't even know for sure now whether those flights would have actually been available if I had taken them. So it was extremely lucky. And nerve-wracking. <laughs> yes. So, and the flight from London to Vancouver was almost all, I think there were only five New Zealanders on it, um, and I didn't know that there were any other New Zealanders. Um, everyone around was, um, it seemed to me, a Canadian hockey player um, returning uh, from being, yeah, some sporting thing that was going on, uh, sporting con connections. And then once I got onto the plane in Vancouver, it was all Kiwis. Um, so as I said, it was for the first time in my life, it was what you might call surround sound Kiwi accents. <laughs> Everybody was speaking the same. And I've never been on an international flight that sounded like that. We'll play there. Your choice of music, Julia Dean's We Light Fire. Um, I know Julia wrote it to acknowledge that in times of stress, in times of worry, in times of... Uh, celebration that fire is the the thing and she's meaning things like candles and campfires and uh, gathering around a warmth a warm source uh, I think it's just a beautiful song for stress and celebration
So you were in London selling the flat, leaving work, all that sort of carry on at, as the time that this was, was ramping up. Yes, yes. And I think because everything was so new to us, we didn't have a perception that it should have been done differently. Um, so I'm not going to be, I mean, in hindsight, I could be very critical. But I, at the moment, I think we were all just saying, it just seems a very strange time. And is this the right thing to do? Or should I be going to work today? Or shouldn't I be? So it was, there was a feeling of confusion. Um, I think the thing that was particularly distressing to people was when restaurants were told that they couldn't open any longer, but they weren't actually, no, they weren't told they were just encouraged not to open, which meant that people um, actually couldn't get any government assistance at that point. And so it took a while for those processes to kick in. So, yeah, it was um, the beginning of the lockdown which and, and, a, and a somewhat confusing time and trying to pack <laughs> a bag when you have no idea what you're coming into. And at the point that New Zealand decided to go into lockdown, I was actually already on the plane. So I didn't know until I arrived here that I was going into lockdown either. Um, again, a strange period. <laughs> it's a very strange time. I only knew about the self-isolation a day before I flew. So. So, so it must have been strange for you arriving here earlier and via Germany for complicated reasons, wondering if she was ever going to turn up. Well, you see, I mean, this is the interesting thing in terms of the timing that, I mean, we didn't come back because of the corona crisis. We, were, we had been planning for the last two years to come back. And then as it ended up right at the end, it coincided. So I saw my role coming here a little earlier is being in the lucky position to be able to prepare our arrival to put things in place. Thank know? goodness, really. And that was really very good because it also meant that, in a way, I actually found myself preparing the bubble without knowing it. <laughs> so, so I had made the right connections, or you know, registering with a with a medical practice, uh, getting your broadband, all of these things. So we actually had a prepared place to be. And you, um, you and a friend of mine actually went to set up my self-isolation thing. I mean, you just like heaps of New Zealand books, heaps of New Zealand magazines, um, loads and loads of wonderful food and alcohol and everything was all set up for me, which is, again, why I was extremely lucky to have that support. And we were only able to do this because we could do it before the lockdown. Yes. Yeah. So the timing was very really interesting. Yes. But it did get very... Uh, stressful towards the end because we weren't sure that Jika was actually going to be able to come through mm. via that Canadian route. And, you know, this is a huge relief when then it touched down. In <laughs> <laughs> huge yes. relief, yes, yes. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Well, hi there, everybody. It is Liesl here from the bubble of Zooloftia. Zooloftia. Yeah, I sort of had to stretch that out a little bit in my head because words are, I don't know, not coming to me as quickly these days. I'm just not talking enough, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not true. I am talking enough. I am finding lots of ways to talk. 
Um, even if it is to myself sometimes, which is, you know, obviously the most fascinating conversation I can have right now with myself. Uh, so I hope you're doing okay. Um, again, just checking in, making sure that you're looking after yourselves and each other. This is this is tough stuff. We're working through, you know, times that are not easy. So if you're doing well, stay kind to yourself and to others and um, we'll get through this. I really believe we will. Um, so today I wanted to just kind of put out there the, the COVID lockdown fashion kind of um, as we're moving through, you know, various stages of lockdown thinking. Um, what's your fashion looking like these days? Because, you know, I'm really intrigued by the evolution of my own um, wardrobing, wardrobing, yeah, that's a word, wardrobing. Yes, I've been wardrobing recently. Um, I wardrobe every day. Yeah, I like that. That can be a verb as well as a noun, can't it? Wardrobing. Um, so my wardrobing recently has, um, I don't want to say declined in kind of awesomeness because it's not. It's comfortable. It's awesome in its comfortableness. But I have noticed that there is now only sort of three items of clothing that I am interested in. And these items um, are selected for very particular purposes, um, comfort being top of the list, warmth being probably a top equal on the list, and um, the final thing would have to be just um, practicality really, like uh, these three items that I love etc um, are going to be the only things that I ever wear for the next uh, who knows how long, but um, yeah I'm basically selecting things on just how I'm going to live in my house without being in my pyjamas because I refuse to be in pyjamas but at the same time there is definitely I think like I said in an earlier um, chat with you there's definitely pyjama-esque sort of clothing going on here uh, the other day I actually took photos of myself in the clothes that I'd put together because look I had to I had to kind of take the piss out of myself because it was not cool what was going on I put the photos up on Facebook and kind of talked it through as a bit of a fashion show because it really was not I was going for sort of a science health theme there was a lab coat sort of esque kind of hoodie that was going on over a lovely sort of grandma jersey coupled with fantastic nana socks grandma jersey nana socks completely different obviously um, there were leggings clearly the fashion comfort item which you know now I'm just like why did I not go to Kmart and get myself five more pairs of leggings because that's all I'm wearing like and they're starting to fall apart like they weren't they weren't brand new these leggings were old they were loved they were they were already like old friends but I've only got two pairs and I'm whew, yeah these are these are the problems I'm grappling with at the moment um leggings issues but anyway I've got two pairs of leggings that's serving me okay for now until they completely fall apart I've noticed one pair wearing today does have holes in it now but hey this is the beauty of these situations nobody else is experiencing the holes so who cares uh so yeah my um my science slash health sort of inspired theme outfit is kind of standard attire really at the moment um nothing kind of goes together I I'm not wearing makeup um, who cares about that who cares about the way that you look and then I go well why do I care anyway you know it's a very interesting thing <laughs> when you're comfortable when you're feeling good when you're warm you're in practical clothes 
and you don't have to spend time putting makeup on doing hair etc I'm like why do I bother with these things in the first place I am happy happier than I've been in a long time so <laughs> those are my wardrobing thoughts would like to leave you on that note I hope you're all comfortable in whatever you're choosing to wear because it really doesn't matter just be comfortable be awesome stay kind and until next time you take care of yourself so are you getting out and about yes, within the restrictions of what you're allowed <laughs> we are lucky there are two beaches that we can walk to um and the pier and i can go to the end of devonport pier and i can look at the silver city over the water i can't go to it i can't travel <laughs> to it but i can wave at it <laughs> um yes we are i do walks every day and things and yes. you're doing and is, sorry and you're doing yoga or ballet online i'm doing yoga with my sister who's um in dunedin um, and I'm doing the New Zealand Cloud Appreciation Facebook page, so I'm going out and looking at clouds, and I think you're doing things with stars. Mm -hmm. You're trying to learn the, the Southern Hemisphere star patterns again, uh, doing language learning, and I'm doing uh, research for the uh, Mid-Century Modern Furniture Restoration Group. <laughs> so I'm happy. I've got loads of them. Did you bring those boxes with you? What, my boxes that yeah. I'm going up? No, they're on a ship at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, that was the downside of the way the flights worked out is because I was on Air Canada and Air New Zealand pulled out of Heathrow two days before I flew. There was nobody that could tell me what I could bring or what I couldn't, whether I could buy an extra suitcase or not. So I was yeah, in London furiously throwing out um, all my clothes and a lot of my objects. That I would have liked to bring brought back. So strange time. Yeah, and, and um, landing was about connecting with family because that's the downside of lighting coming into self isolation. Is I I haven't actually seen my mum. I haven't actually visited any my family who I'm coming home to be with. So that is the downside. But hopefully that will change soon. You you were doing ballet at the Royal Ballet I, School or something. <laughs> the Royal Opera House runs a company, extra company called Everybody Ballet and I was doing classes with them when I was in London and I told everybody I was going to bring the Royal Opera House with me, I just let them know um, and lo and behold I get here and I can because <laughs> it's all gone online, I would never have been able to share that with anyone before, I mean this is what is so strange, a lot of the London life I had, I mean the nice you know, fancy bits that I was able to do. Um, I I'm able to bring that because of um, the way that the you know, National Theatre, the Globe Theatre, the Royal Opera House, they're all putting performances online. Um, and my sister and I got up at 6am in the morning so to <laughs> to do a Royal Ballet, Royal Ballet class. That was nice. So, yeah, no... I go back. I go back to saying we're lucky. There's so many things have worked out well for us and very aware that it's not the case for um, people that we know. So, yeah. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. 
Kia ora na mihi aroha nui kia koutou kotahu hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars. I hope that you're just having the most wonderful time, really enjoying the freedom and exploration and spaciousness and possibility and discovery that this time is gifting to us all. I'm really enjoying this time sharing my thoughts with you. Thank you for having me. It's a great honour. And today I thought that we could really dive and delve into the realm of our emotions and all the wonderful, wonderful opportunities that they give us to learn and grow our skills as a beautiful human animal, the product of literally billions of years of evolution, cohesion, communication, cooperation, emotion, and the guidance that emotion provides. So as we know, as an incredible species of animal, we have evolved all of these wonderful skill sets within our living toolkit of our beautiful bodies and one of these our miraculous mind really helps shape the world that we find ourselves in now and at this time we're really being gifted the opportunity to take a bit of a step back from that human world that we have created and look at the bigger picture and think about how we want to behave and how we want to feel going into our glorious future together and our emotions are really our best friends when it comes to understanding how our thoughts and our behavior patterns affect us and serve us so from my perspective we're here to make things better from my perspective we physically manifested so that the real world the natural world that gives us life can perceive itself and care for itself and that is our role so it's very important while we are here physically manifested that we care for ourselves in the best way. We give ourselves what we need to have emotional resilience. And we give ourselves what we need so that the best aspects of ourselves can come forward and grow and shine and make the world even better. And our emotions are really our guide for this. So as we all know at this time, a lot has changed in our lives and we are dealing with that and so when we have these extreme negative emotions come up that can feel quite overwhelming at times it's so important that we're able to take a step back from those emotions and perceive ourselves as our beloved deserving of our love and care and step in as a nurturer to ourselves this is a really great skill set for us to develop at this time. Now, scaling back from those intense negative emotions, many aspects of our lives and the immediacy and the convenience that we're used to, of course, have changed. So we may have some less extreme negative emotions like frustration and anger when we can't achieve what we so readily achieved in the past. We don't have the same degree of control in the same contexts those sorts of priorities have to shift and we have to set new boundaries. So when those sorts of negative emotions come up for us, it's again wonderful to take a bit of a step back and from a bigger picture see where we are as part of a process as opposed to these situations being a problem. 
So when we see ourselves as part of a much bigger process, which has been unfolding for billions of years, we can see that this time is part of our evolution, and not just our evolution as a species, but the evolution of all species and all consciousness on Earth. So by taking that step back, seeing the opportunities that are there for us to learn and grow our skill set, we can really make the best of what is quite an unexpected situation in some ways. Now, moving towards my favourite emotions, all those positive emotions of gratitude, love, joy, celebration, rapture, bliss, pleasure, fun, enjoyment, you know, those are the emotions that we love. And when those emotions do come about because of the thoughts and behaviour patterns that we're using, Make the most of it, I say. Just relish it and revel in it and celebrate it. And do your best to amplify it and learn from it. So when you are feeling those best, best, best emotions of love and gratitude, you're training your brain to give you more. Your brain is there all the time to help you and your brain loves you. We're so lucky with our brains. So the more we can do when we are feeling those really good emotions to just amplify them and keep thinking about the things that we love, keep thinking about the things that we're grateful for. Our brain will pick up on that and our brain will keep scanning and keep finding these gifts for us. So I hope that over this time you can really enjoy appreciating your emotions as your guide and appreciating that opportunity to take a bit of a step back emotionally and experience the situation in a way that serves you best. So thank you all so much for being born. Thank you for adding your unique magic to the mix. I look forward to having more time with you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kahite. So what do you think we're learning from this this time of slowing down? Yeah, I think that has been something that is really fascinating me because we are living in a changed reality, so we are actually offered the opportunity for new perceptions and fresh experiences. So things that are normally very familiar start to turn into something quite unfamiliar. And there's, of course, a great opportunity in that to have new insights. So I find that fascinating, like walking around these deserted streets, the empty public spaces. I find myself intensely longing for the people going about all these everyday activities and they're bustling, you know, buying and selling, moving about, looking after the children, whatever it might be. And so, yeah, you you sort of realize things that normally you take for granted, you you know, you, you kind of revalue them or value them more deeply in a certain way. I love I love traveling on London buses <laughs> with all of the stories that you see around you, all of the interactions between people. I mean, I actually also enjoy the tube. So it's going to be quite a you know it's quite an adjustment to go into completely empty streets. But at the same time, people here are very communicative and they're waving, and I love all of the stuff that's happening, all the creativity. It's wonderful. Yes, it's wonderful. Yes. But also, what I'm finding very interesting is that because of where we are at the moment here, we are so close to the edge of the sea. So we are really at the edge between the city and the sea. And so while the city is falling 
quiet to some extent, of course not, not really, but to some extent it's more quiet, it's less traffic and, 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 and less, less foot traffic and everything. In a way, I find the sea coming towards me very strongly. And, you know, there's hardly any traffic noise, so you hear the birds much more. So that provokes thoughts about the relationship between the city and the environment that I find quite fascinating and interesting and quite meditative also. So you find yourself walking around. So I think there are so many learnings that are just coming out of just the perceptions of this changed reality. And I feel that there could be good things coming out of it. This isn't your first experience of lockdown. It's not for me, although what I experienced before is was like lockdown, but it wasn't really lockdown in the sense of something mandated. I was by chance, I was in Europe in, in 1986 when the Chernobyl disaster happened. And of course, what happened there was um, that suddenly the entire environment started to become radioactive because of the fallout. So there was great concern whether it would actually be safe to go outside, safe to leave the houses. And um, I was in Germany at the time. And I remember, for example, the first day after we became aware of this accident, because there was, again, a lag period between the accident happening and the actual uh, government of Russia, to, or the USSR, um, to actually make that known to the world. So there was a first, first day that we were um, aware of it. And I happened to be in a computer programming class and as, when I arrived, it was sunny, and then by the time our class finished, it was pouring with rain, and we didn't dare to go out because we didn't know what was in mm -hmm. the rain. Was it very radioactive? So anyway, so suddenly the environment turned very hazardous, but you didn't know how hazardous uh, because you can't feel it. You can't, you can't feel it. We have no sense for it. And so obviously that is very different to a pandemic. But what really I find fascinating is that at the time, in 1986, we didn't have any social media, we didn't have any internet. So we didn't have any opportunity to really speak with each other as a society. So we only had the broadcast from the, from the government, and I mean, they did their best, obviously, trying to share the information. But there could not be that sense of togetherness in facing something in a connected, collaborative way between everybody. And I find that very, very uh, um, interesting how so different it is now in the world we live in now and the opportunities we have through the media that we have. And in that case, it really was about keeping yourself safe. The messaging from the government was would have been it was about saving yourself whereas in this case it's not so much about yourself it's about saving that others is a key difference that is a key difference and people had no way really to link up with each other rather than just your immediate neighbor or you could ring somebody on the telephone or so but but there could not be this sense of collective 
and yet there was action. and yet there was an equal need for, for information because the government itself there everybody didn't know how dangerous this was yeah. um we don't now know um how this whole pandemic is going to go either we are in the same situation where we don't where it's equally confusing but we have messaging we have um ways for them to communicate easily with us with the majority of the population we know that not everybody is getting the messages but um if they're not um, as digitally connected, it's more difficult. But it's an interesting situation um, to be able to create a community um, now that we wouldn't have been able to do then. No, and I think it has a, a really a huge makes a huge difference for for society if you have this multilateral potential of linking up with with each other. Basically, everybody with everyone really potentially. I think this is really, that is what really strikes me when I think back to the situation way back then and how different it is now. So it's good, very good. We had no idea that it couldn't be done and we needed to find a like-minded someone who had no So we've gone away for a while. What do you think is going to be different when we come back? 
this whole thing about Papatunuku breathing. Have you seen that Auckland video? It's very powerful. Um, and I haven't haven't put it out to a lot of people because actually I think some people that I'm in London will find that very heartfelt. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be wishing they were on a plane. What do you think is going to be different? Well, it will depend so much um, how we can actually safeguard uh, activities through testing and contact tracing and hopefully vaccinations. Um, because that will, that will determine so much what is our scope of agency. And we're not sure yet about that, are we? How, how quickly things will, you know, become available. Because that would, I think it would determine whether the changes we're seeing now are more transient or more permanent. Hmm. It's not clear yet. I would like transport to be local transport to be increased um, because New Zealand does need to stay connected. Um, so I'm looking forward to there being, as I said, more trains and more buses, perhaps. Um, and I'm afraid I still need and want the flights. Um, yeah, and nationally for starters, I, I can cope with the period of not having so much international, as many international flights, but. Um, I definitely think there needs to be more national flights. I'm concerned about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about the how New Zealand is going to be as global. Um, I think there's some really interesting people talking about this. Um, I don't know if you uh, saw this an interview with Tania Beersley. She is the New Zealand head of the Kia organisation in London and she um, has been talking about how a lot of New Zealand businesses, communities, individuals don't know how wonderful they are and how good they are and how they could be, um, how they could connect globally and I think it's going to be very interesting to use perhaps media more and more to project ourselves in the world stage where we can't physically go out there to the conferences and I'm looking at a person who goes to conferences <laughs> quite a lot. Um, yeah. Well, we're certainly not going anywhere this year and no. probably not next year. Yes, and we didn't come back with the idea that we were going to be here and never go back. We had with the idea that we would still have a connection to Europe and the UK, not every year. Not even every alternative year, but every now and again. Um, so that's changed. Yeah, but then it's not going to be impossible. And maybe it's forcing our hand on the changes that we should have been making for exactly. climate change reasons. Absolutely. That's good. Yes. Yes. But, but how come how come we didn't take we haven't taken climate change this seriously? But that is a very interesting question, isn't it? It's being discussed a lot. And we haven't been told we have to. Have we been told that we have to in the way that we've been told that we have to lock down? Is the police enforcing climate change? No, not yet. I think there is an element of 
what the human person can directly experience or not that is a little bit also involved with climate change. What I mean is, I'm just sort of going back briefly to this Chernobyl situation where we really lacked the sense to experience the radioactivity. You can't hear it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you can't experience it. So it's very intangible. And of course, over the last decade, uh, the, the climate change threats have become more and more tangible and people are experiencing it more and more immediately. And I think that is then also pushing uh, the awareness forward about it. Um, when it is not a theoretical uh, piece of knowledge, but you actually experience it yourself. I think with a pandemic, this is an old kind of threat. Yeah. The world has always experienced plagues and, and epidemics. So there's a more immediate sense of, of, of danger also. That I think it's in our DNA that we're frightened of this. We certainly, it's certainly in our culture, our civilization. I was just reading this morning about um, plague in Venice, for example. You know, like in the Middle Ages, there was plague right throughout Europe. And people know about these threats. Everybody knows about that this is really serious. I think that might be one of the reasons why it's easier to get such immediate reaction or action, protective action for, for a pandemic. Climate change is slow burn as well. There might be exponential graphs, but they're happening over months and years. Yes, yes. But and you still the, got people with the pandemic who aren't. I don't, and I don't mean. I don't mean the naysayers that you know uh, are in the public media um, space. I mean there are people stuck at home um, who. Perhaps it's perhaps they're slightly older. I won't. I don't want to say too much about an age group, but there are people that don't really believe it's unsafe out there. They just think they're being limited in some way. And I think some of those people, they're not seeing the images that perhaps I've seen true, on true. social media about how serious this is. They perhaps don't know people working in the NHS that yes. I might know that could tell them how serious this is. So. Yeah, there's always going to be people. And the, um, the chain of cause and effect is a lot shorter in a pandemic in that the, the deaths can be directly attributed to, to COVID. Yes. In, yes. In, in climate change in the environmental space, yes, there might be an increased frequency of hurricanes, but every individual hurricane, it's really difficult to, to say yes. this was a, a direct result. There's a link, there's a link yeah. from, the, from the, the death to the hurricane and from the hurricane yeah. to climate change. So it's a two-step process. This is a one-step process. Um, and, and a one-step process about what we can do about it. Although in this case, we're being asked not to socialise. They're not saying don't consume, just don't consume together. The not consuming thing is it turns out to be harder than the not consuming together. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
it also reflects so much about our society as it is at the moment, isn't it? I mean, cons cons consumption is, is, is still absolutely central. But I think if, if an emergency uh, lasted longer, the consuming behavior would also change. I think so. I think there would be less, there would be less consumption. I think people would revalue or rejig their attitudes. And I have some questions to end with. Except that I've lost them, so we can't have them. <laughs> we just have to stop. There we are. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, it's a very boring one to anyone externally, but this whole process of shifting countries is quite a big thing, right? <laughs> it's a lot of different pieces of a life, folding down a life and then restarting it. So I'm afraid that is going to be a success at the moment. And I know it's very personal. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting out into having a bit more communal space and community-based rather than just being concerned about what I'm having to deal with in my personal life. <laughs> I think that's very true. That is such a big process and that is a success. I think, one should, yeah, one, one, one should see it like that, I think, definitely. So yeah. we're writing yeah. a book. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Morrow's Heroes. So uh -huh. you're, in, you're in the mansion of people doing good work. What's your superpower? Well, <laughs> what is a superpower? The superpower is making novel connections between things that are commonly perceived as separate and creating new systems perspectives from that. And that, and that invites new kinds of action or enables new kinds of action. So you talk about multidisciplinary things again. Yes, but in a particular way where you're actually making because of who you are, because of the experiences you've had, you are in a position to make particular kinds of connections because you draw on those experiences. And by that I mean life experiences rather than just uh, you know, academic or theoretical experiences. So I think that, that I would say is one ability. <laughs> what about yourself? No, nothing at the moment. Nothing at the moment. <laughs> So do you consider... I would fly down and see my mum. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Activists? Not at the moment. Um, part of the whole reason of coming home is actually a reset. There were some conditions around our time in London that made things difficult. Um, and we're away from some of that now. So um, I think we will become more activists. I think that's what we want. It's who we are, but I don't think uh, circumstances have allowed that so much recently. Yeah. And what motivates you? I just am fascinated by everything in life, <laughs> I'm afraid. It's <laughs> a wonderful thing. No, I just, you know, I'm never bored. I always find things in people and processes i mean there's so many things being revealed at the moment yes um 
this whole underlaying at the moment it's all those that underlaying networks that we didn't all know about how transport works how supplies work how the globe is functioning we're suddenly seeing that you know because if it's if it's a, a network rising up from from underneath you know it's a bit like learning how trees talk to each other we're now learning how the world the commercial world is talking to each other in a way that um, was invisible to many of us so I think that means we can make more choices about it yes yes and sometimes things go to extreme like the price of fuel going below zero unbelievable yes that's just that's just <laughs> may or may not be a good thing yeah what a weird system we've created where that can be a thing yes we did didn't we so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years We've come back to New Zealand, to Aotearoa, one whole generation later. It's a 20-year gap as a generation. Um, we, we know people through social media, through connections, etc., but we don't see them operating in the New Zealand context. So I know individual names of who's on, you know, who speaks to that perspective and who speaks to that perspective, but I don't have a whole picture. So I'm, I've got loads to learn about this country. It's a fascinating place. Um, and I think the world's eyes are going to be on us as well. And I just can't wait to get involved. Um, and that, out of my bubble and being involved in New Zealand, it's regrowth, rechange, the new future, whatever it's going to be. Um, yes, completely agree with that. Yeah. Yes, completely. And also... Um, you know, bringing a lot of the learnings and and activities from the from the life of the last twenty years, yes, back to New Zealand, yes. and to see how it could best make a contribution. You know, but yeah. then I'm, I'm really motivated to to do this to you know see yeah. how I could best make a motiv a, a contribution from from what I've learned over the last twenty years. And so you should be aware. All those New Zealanders that were encouraged to come back and did, whether they were intending to or not, they're here now. They can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> you've got some. You've got some really interesting people turning up. Um, so New Zealand has to find a way to make spaces for them as well. I think make spaces for different perspectives that we might all have. So and we have to learn about New Zealand. So of all the societal changes we've seen in the last few weeks, what yes. do we hope will stick? I would hope that this growing awareness, what is essential work and who is an essential worker, will really help to gain, uh, for, uh, for all of us to gain uh, a greater social justice and, 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 and uh, you know, help us reduce the, or overcome, or, or ideally, overcome the inequalities in the society. Because I think that has become so clear to everybody that what is really an essential worker um, are often people who are get, who get forget forgotten in, yeah. in, in other in other uh, regards, and that's what I really hope will yeah. 
change through this experience. And I think for me, it's that the digital divide has been more revealed, um, or we've, we've been made aware of it, but we're not actually enough aware of it because there's people out there now that are in bubbles that can't communicate to you. So I think that's what's really has to happen, so much more focus on the people that haven't been contacted through these different media. And, um, and making sure that those resources are shared better, you know, mm. for schooling, for education, for you know, different things. And then the other one is obviously the be kind. We have to keep that. I see lovely examples of it, but we have to keep it. We have to keep it. And that means being kind in a digital space as well as being kind in a physical space. That is very important, yes. It's interesting to see be kind be operationalised. This is not just a, a sort of platitude that you can, yes. policy decisions can be made on that basis. Yes, indeed. But, you know, the comments <laughs> the comments on these different media is not a be kind place, is it? So um, let's take it into that space too. Yes. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? No. no. <laughs> no. Everybody's doing the best they can, and I'm sure that they'll, they are figuring it out. Yeah. I like to look out, look up, and be, I'm always interested in what's happening, but um, everybody has to find what suits them. Some of the introverts and some of them are extroverts, and they have to find their own place in all of this. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, polite conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the, the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay. I've been joined by Jika Smith and Sylvia Nagel in Auckland's Devonport. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.